Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. This Sunday is our third Sunday of live streaming together as the body of Christ. It hasn't escaped my notice that this virus assaulted us while we together as a church were pursuing a series of teachings entitled Undeception. Now, C.S. Lewis used this word undeception to describe times when the Holy Spirit uses a circumstance or a a predicament uh, to bring us into a moment of clarity in God that kind of changes everything. And in that spirit, I've entitled our message this morning, The Undeceptions of the Coronavirus. Now, the tagline for our series is Peering into Truth. And I want to be honest about this and say that there is a jeopardy for us as believers. We can miss our moment in this. That's kind of what Johnny was talking about in the prophecy, that there is a moment of clarity, a moment of light, and we can miss our moment uh, and and really lapse into some measure of falsehood. There's a spirit of fear abroad uh, about this virus, and I understand, I understand that it's dangerous. And I believe that it's essential that we take the steps that the authorities are mandating. I, I believe all of that and that we really understand that some of you are, are experiencing uh, pressures of health and finances. I get that. All of that said, I nevertheless also understand that fear and faith in the scriptures are just contrary to one another. We have to remember that for the most part, the media stock in trade right now is fear and anxiety. And I, I want to be informed that I want you to be informed. But some of us are just bathing in the reporting and the attached political cis- cynicism that's going on. And I, it's just bad. And so it's our job as the church to be the light, to not put our light under a bushel, to remain a church who's focused upon God, one another, and our neighbor's through this crisis. And I'd just like to mention a few undeceptions, moments of clarity, that I believe God is performing as we live through this together, connected. And the first issue I'm going to speak to is this. Social distancing is necessary, but authoritative faith is more necessary. And the truth came home to me when one of our healthcare workers who was working on the front lines of COVID-19 said, look, I hear people, I hear brothers and sisters talking about isolation and distancing all the time, and that's well and good. But there's not a lot of acknowledgement that God is our first protector through this thing. So when I say authoritative faith, I mean that we realize that as believers in Jesus, we have real authority to pray into circumstances and really see things change. We have more NC4 congregants, that's our, our church, in the healthcare profession than any other single demographic. And most of them are not afforded the luxury of distancing. So not only do they need to be praying in faith, but it's our responsibility as their community to be praying for them as a church with authority. And this is, the, this is uh, true for first responders as well. We have a lot of first responders in our church. Now, people in the church are praying in virtual groups every day now. It's like amazing. And, but I reckon we are praying so that we will have hope, and that's true. Uh, but daily authoritative prayer means that we bring hope to others. 
And as I was preparing for the power encounters this past year, the, the meetings that we had last summer, and looking at the early Moravians, uh, 1742 and following here in Bethlehem, the spiritual anchor of the Lehigh Valley, the uh, early Moravian community had diaries. And I was reading the diaries, and a very virulent smallpox epidemic hit the mission community here, I want to say around 1743. And of course, they had no modern epidemiology to do anything to combat the disease. Matter of fact, some of the children's graves over in the cemetery, just a block away from here, are the consequences of that smallpox epidemic. <clears throat> so what did they do? They did what they were known for. They went to prayer. And one of the things that struck me in their prayers and in their services and the way they worshiped was the language. One of the things that really struck me is that they centered on the wounds and the blood of Christ. For example, one entry after a worship service said, it was such a powerful service, it was a bloody service. And that's not language that I'm, I'm personally used to. But there was a faith within them that the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross could by faith exhibit power right into their predicament. And they could apply the blood of Jesus to their situation. This is kind of Jewish thinking, but all of the sacrificial blood of the temple, for example, carried intentions with it as well. And I want for us to think about that kind of theology and tap into it as we pray for our families, as we pray for those on the front lines, as we pray for the church, as we pray for the region and even the nation. So I have a few more undeceptions to hold forth on, but before I do, I want to visit an episode in the scriptures where Jesus challenges disciples for not exercising spiritual authority when they understand their lives are in jeopardy. So I'd like for us to turn again to the gospel of Mark chapter 4. One of the best indicators of faith in the midst of crisis is just the ability to rest in God. So I'm going to begin reading in verse 33. It says in verse 33, Mark chapter 4, with many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far, so far as they were able to hear it. Jesus had been teaching the disciples, but there seems to be a limitation as, as to what they could absorb just by the hearing of it. And the idea is that they need an experience. And while I'm not claiming that God created this virus as a teaching moment for the church, I am claiming that he can use it as a teaching moment for his church. I'm going to jump all the way down to verse 35. On that day, when evening came, and the word means late afternoon, Jesus said to the disciples, let us go over to the other side. That's crossing the Sea of Galilee. I've just in Galilee last year, crossing the sea in, in the late afternoons. That's not the time that you want to cross the Sea of Galilee because uh, storms come in uh, across the Jezreel Valley and flash in from the Atlantic and things can get really difficult. And so, so it's a precarious time to cross. Verse 36, so leaving the crowd, they, that's uh, took, uh, took over Jesus. They took him along with them in the boat, just as he was and other boats were with him. The two words for boats there is a big boat that Jesus was in and some little boats. So they had some lifeboats because they were experienced fishermen and they understood the jeopardy of crossing the Sea of Galilee at this particular time. And they were walking in obedience 
uh, to Jesus, but they had a bad feeling about this. So, verse 37, and there arose a fierce gale of wind. And the word here for a gale is really twister. So it's probably a water spout. If any of you have seen a water spout, there are tornadoes on water and they're dangerous. And it says, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Verse 38, Jesus himself was in the stern. That's the back of the boat for those of you who aren't sailors. And he's asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and they said to him, teacher. And they don't use the word like rabbi here. It's a special word. It's, I, how can I explain this? It's more like sensei. For those of you who are like into karate, it's that kind of thing. Teacher, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Wow, that's kind of interesting because if I read the op-ed pieces and so forth, there is this kind of little theme going on as to where is God in all this? Do you not care that we are perishing? Verse 39, and he got up, Jesus got up and watch this. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, wow, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. This is exorcism language. Jesus addresses the weather as if it is a being, right? Something demonic may have been going on as they crossed because Jesus is about to cast the demons out of the Gerizim, uh, which I think Tom just referenced in the midst of our service this morning. Verse 40, this is amazing. And I think this is what I want to focus on this morning. So Jesus said to them, that's to all the disciples together, not just one of them, why are you afraid? And the word here for afraid is not the, the usual Greek word for fear. The Greek word for fear is phobos, from which we get the word phobia and phobic and all those kinds of things. That's the common word you expect Jesus would say here. But the word he says here isn't phobos. It's a word that means, why are you timid? Why are you so passive? Why are you inactive? How is it that you have no faith, he says. And they became very much afraid, and here the word is phobos, because they said to one, one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So there was a fear that came in them as they saw the activity and the faith and the authority that Jesus exercised that he expected them to exercise. So the important lesson here is that Jesus chastises them for their passivity. Because God doesn't allow storms to come into our lives in order for him to show how powerful God is. God allows storms to come into our lives so that we can know ourselves and to know the authority in which we can walk simply because we are believers. We have that capacity. We are seated with him. We are enthroned with him, Jesus says in the book of Revelation. I got a text from one of our first responders, a police officer in the church. He was in a local grocery store uh, sorting out a fight between people who were fighting for toilet paper. And uh, while he was there, he was going to buy the elements for communion last week because we brought elements into our households and we took communion together. And he said this, he says, as I was working last Saturday night, uh, at the end of the night, I went and purchased the grape juice so that we would, so we would have communion in the morning. And I paid with a $20 bill and, I, and I, I was given change. I didn't notice it at the time, but when I got home, my wife noticed the $10 bill 
which I had received as change, looked really different. And so I said, it must be a new $10 bill. But when we looked it up, we found out it was circulated in, in before 1950. And when we looked it up, we found out it was actually worth much more than $10. How cool is that? Yeah. It says, so I, w I was awoken up in the morning last Sunday to, to this repeating thought in my head. I believe the Holy Spirit was speaking to me that, and this is what I kept hearing, just like that $10 bill in the midst of this is worth so much more. I will restore more to you as you come through this thing, right? And that was kind of what Johnny was talking about in his prophecy. He said, I knew the bill could actually be worth more than 10. As, so as I prayed, I said, well, God, do you want me to give this bill then instead of a regular $10 bill? And the Lord said, no, you keep it. You keep it as a reminder that I am going to restore to you more, more than you lost at the first. And that's, I think that's a prophetic word of the Lord via these prophecies this morning. Something good is going to happen through this thing as we walk through it together. Now, attached to this truth of taking authority in faith and prayer is what I call a related truth. And did you notice that Jesus doesn't single out one disciple and say, hey, why didn't you take authority over the storm? Why were you so passive? Why were you so timid? He speaks to them all. He says, why didn't you guys, all of you, calm the storm? And if you remember in another episode when they were crossing the sea, it was Peter he challenged individually. That doesn't happen here. It's the idea that our physical separation from one another is being used by God to show us our need for one another to exercise authority. Huh? I'm marveling, I'm flabbergasted how many of you are taking time to pray and to come into connection with one another as a church on social media. It's, it's amazing. We can't get near one another, but we yearn for one another. We're, we're finding that we need connectedness. When we could come together, we didn't need one another as much as we need one another now. I find this interesting. Jesus says to all the disciples, why didn't you get together and calm that storm? Why were you so passive? And so every time I turn around, my wife Trish is praying with another group of people online, this thing. So here's, here, I want to repeat it again, because this is the undeception. Our physical separation from one another is being used by God to show us our need for one another. Physical distancing of ourselves has given rise to a level of spiritual connection with one another greater than before. When the smoke clears, we need to learn from this, brothers and sisters. Our tagline for NC4 is living a connected life. And never before in the history of this church that I can remember has that tagline been more appropriate and more effective. It's really interesting. I see prayer across believers groups, I see prayer across churches, networks of churches, connect groups are meeting virtually. Hey, if you're online and you're watching and you say, well, I'm not connected, Pastor Mike is on there. And you can text him and he'll tell you how you can get connected because this is a time when I believe some of these connections are gonna change relationships going through this thing into the life that will live beyond the coronavirus. Now, I understand that we have a common predicament and we have a common enemy that gathers us together. But isn't it interesting that we can focus on a biological enemy, which is invisible in prayer, and yet during normal times, 
we often ignore our spiritual enemy, which is invisible, who is at work in the world all the time. Huh? And so I'm sensing a unity, especially in the taking of our Eucharist together, that says to me, in a sense, that the church is passing an important test of some kind. And despite the jeopardy of infection, people have this yearning and hunger to be with one another. Here's something interesting. More than that, okay, get this. We somehow now have the time to do it. Huh? So here's another undeception. This lockdown should reveal to us how busy and distracted from God we have allowed our lives to become. I want to say that again. This lockdown should reveal to us how busy and distracted from God we have in normal times allowed our life to become. As Trish and I have been walking uh, from day to day, we're doing a lot of walking as everybody is, and we notice something we haven't seen since we were kids. Children playing in the yard together. Hopefully they're from the same families, but there's kids all over the neighborhoods playing, getting games up. That I, We just never saw that. And then the decks. I mean, we live in a neighborhood where against our neighborhood in the back, there are these opulent buildings. They're, they're, they're gorgeous homes. I'm thinking, you know, $750,000 homes with these incredibly ornate decks. They're always empty. And in the summer, the air conditioning systems are whirring and all the, 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 the windows are closed and all the windows are closed and people are, there's nobody ever on the decks. And all you can see is that the vague light flashing on and off from the TV inside. And yet there's all these decks. Well, now the decks have people on them. Isn't that crazy? I mean, people are on their decks. The neighborhoods have changed because here in this season, there are no band practices. There are no sport practices, no art lessons, no Boy Scouts, no Girl Scouts, no play rehearsals, gymnastics, baseball, football, soccer, you know, and all those things are good. I get that. But they also things that run parents ragged as we attempt to ensure that all of our children will end up above average. Seriously. So I want us to think about this. You know, as dangerous and crazy as this virus is, this lockdown has ensured that we have some time for God and that we have some time for one another, that our kids have time for each other. You know, sometimes maybe a little more difficult times with each other, but they have time for each other. So the effect of it reminds me that we've allowed our lives to become so inundated in our social calendars, so tyrannized that quality relationships have proven to be the cost. I, don't, I want us to take note. I think an undeception is going on. Not only do we have more time, but watch this. Time itself has contracted. What I mean by that is that we are now thinking from hour to hour and day to day rather than from month to month and year to year. Are you there? All this stuff out there is getting canceled and all this. We're thinking from day to day, which is probably how we were created to think. But I am the chiefest sinner of this. You know, Denise or Trish will say to me, can we do this? And I'll say, oh, I can't do that till August or whatever it is. I mean, it's crazy. I want to learn kind of from this because we don't know what next week holds right now. And we don't know what's in store for us. So these are times, I think, that we can examine ourselves and as we come out of this, really make some estimations of our lives because God 
through this tragedy is undeceiving us. Uh, here's another one. The church is not called to be timid with its love in this hour. As I mentioned before, the word that Jesus uses is not phobia or phobic or phobos. It's, it's this other word that says inactive. Why are you inactive? Now is the time for the church to be active. And I believe we are. We have food distribution going on, backpack programs. They're proliferating. We're, we're canvassing our households to make sure no one is in distress. I mean, there's connections going on that are just kind of unusual because they're connections that we wouldn't we wouldn't have had otherwise. I want to share something that I shared with the guys before the service. Last week we took communion. I got a text from a Jewish guy in New Jersey and, and he and his wife took communion. They looked online. I can't, I can't tell you how they got here, but I don't have time. But, but anyway, they were online and he went and got matzah and, and, and orange juice and he had communion and he was texting me to find out how he could give to the church. And I was cracking up and somebody said to me, who had no temerity, said, well, what about 1 Corinthians 11 and taking communion and not discerning the body of Christ? I said, he doesn't know anything about that. He doesn't know about that. I said, that was an act of faith, man. He's hungry for God. I was just celebrating that kind of thing. Okay, let me tell you this. We took increments of $5 last week in order to bring the blood over our households and so forth, the half shekel offering. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to last week's message and, and it'll tell you all about what we did and why we didn't still get in on it. But $5,500 was raised for those who are distressed by this disease. And I'm thinking that's, that's $5 increments. That means we covered the names of 1,100 people. Minimally, it's probably more. We covered the names. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just bring the blood of Christ as a protection over every one of those names, every one of those names that came in on the offering, any, every one of the names that might come in this week or whatever, we just bring the blood of Jesus Christ to bear. And we thank you for the blood of the Lamb, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The most widely read stories on National Geographic's website last week were about animal stories. They were not true, okay? There were stories of dolphins now supposedly in Venetian canals because they had become unpolluted. And there were supposedly elephants uh, purportedly making themselves at home in a town in China and getting drunk on corn wine. And in China during the epidemic, uh, it ceased to be a major polluter as in India. None of this is true. And when the media itself attempted to debunk these stories, which are patently not true, people really became angry with them. And I'm thinking, this is really interesting. Why is that? Well, hear me, hear me, church. People are desperate to find light in this crisis. We not only can be the light, we are the light, and we're supposed to be the light, which is interesting in light of what Johnny had prophesied this morning. So how do we be the light? What are some practical ways we can be the light? Okay, well, here's some undeceiving ways we can be the light this week. And I'm challenging all of us to, to kind of do this. Intentionally invite someone to join you in a virtual meeting. That's in one of your virtual prayer meetings. Invite someone to, to join us online on Sunday morning because people who won't come to church will turn on the TV and if they don't like the, the worship, I'll tell them to turn it on at 1030. 
And if, they, if you're afraid they won't like the, the, the message, but they might like the worship, then tell them to come on at 10. You know, in other words, be proactive. Don't be passive. Be proactive in inviting people to join, to join together online here on a Sunday or one of the other many virtual meetings that are going on throughout the body. And the thing I want to mention, too, is that um, if you don't know how to get connected, again, Pastor Mike is on there. You can text him. He'll connect you. Okay. Here's something else you can do. Invite someone who probably would not normally come to church to join us for a service, especially Palm Sunday and Easter. I pray that we'll be back together in here for Easter. But if we're not, if we're not, I have no prophetic sensibility of that. So if we're not, we need to continue to be obedient to authorities, but we will be having a Palm Sunday, an Easter service, a Tenebrae service. Invite someone. People are primed at that time of year. It's both Passover and Easter at the same time. Passover begins, I think, April 8th and it extends to the 14th. And Easter's right in the middle. It's April 12th. So invite someone to come on to service. Then talk to them about it afterwards. Ask what they think. It's a great, it's a great opportunity. Here's something you can do. Send someone a food gift card. If you have to go to the grocery store, you can always buy a gift card. Well, buy one and send it to somebody. Just bless them. Bless their socks off because people need to be blessed during this season. Uh, check out Sarah Reese's posting uh, on, on the website. Send, send someone an encouragement card. She had so many encouragement cards uh, sent out that she had to get more. So do it. Go, And it doesn't have to be someone within the church. Here's something. Don't stop giving which was kind of the theme this morning. And I, I know some of you are pressed and so forth, but remember, if, if, if you're not giving as much because you don't have as much, because you've been laid off or something like that, what you give is more. How cool is that? In other words, it's the widow's might principle. You know, This is not the time to hold back. It's the time to express faith. Jesus says, why didn't you do something? Here's another one. Begin to practice taking overt authority in prayer, which I've been trying to do myself. In other words, rather than say, oh, God, if it's your will for me to get rid of this sniffle, no, take authority over it. See, and I just rebuke the sniffle in the name of Jesus or whatever it might be. You know, do something authoritatively. Do something as if it matters because you're enthroned with Jesus on his throne. Jesus says, ah, here's a doozy. As households assemble and take Eucharist at least once a week. Um, and I want to initiate that this week. Um, take communion, get some wine, get some grape juice, get some matzah, get some bread, gather your kids together. If you're a single mom, do it yourself. You know, you're a head of household, you know, uh, uh, and, and gather them and just, if you don't know how to do it, if you think I shouldn't do this, a pastor should do it. Remember, when, when Passover was instituted, there was no Levitical priesthood. Heads of households did this. Heads of households did this. So if you're head of a household, get your family together, sit down and take communion together. And if you don't know how to do it, go to 1 Corinthians 11. The words of institution are there. They're important words. You can use those words. You just read them out of 1 Corinthians 11 and you can do that. Okay. And so there are all these opportunities. You can think up things yourself. Okay. For just one moment, I want to go back to the idea of applying the blood and what the, what the Moravians did. And they said, oh, it was a bloody time. It was a bloody service. The blood of Jesus was there. 
we were in his wounds. And all that language is language that I'm not used to. If you're from an early Pentecostal kind of background, probably not so much. Or if you're from a Baptist background, probably not so much. And of course, early Moravians were the same way. But I think they tapped into a protective theology that we need to tap into as well. So what I'd like to do is just take a, a three minutes of reflection and invite Johnny Kilman to come up here. And there's this old uh, hymn, uh, I think it's Bap Baptist in its, its, uh, in, in its origins. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. I, I asked him to restylize it because um, I felt like it needed to be contemplative and it needed to, 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 to bring us into a sense of worship and prayer. Just three minutes, don't, don't move off because I'm going to close with an important prayer. But just take three minutes and listen to what our brother has to sing. And then we will pray. Thank you.
I was contemplating uh, throughout the service this morning, for those of you who may have not been online for the whole service, uh, how Tom's word of exhortation and John's word of prophecy and then this message were kind of woven together so that we can have not only hope, we can exercise faith. So it may be that you're watching and you've never really you've never really made the decision that Jesus Christ is your God and your Lord and your Savior. You can even discover him to be your king. And you've never, you know, you, you, you've said, ah, maybe that's true, and, but, I, but I need to, what do I do about that? Well, here's what you do. I'm going to pray a prayer and you can pray with me. And I'm going to ask all of you at home if you just uh, bow your heads and pray with me. Repeat after me. Pray a prayer. Now, begin praying right now. If you could just follow me in this. Lord Jesus, I am sorry for all that I've ever done to offend you. And I ask you to forgive me you to take what you did on the cross for me and apply it to my life. I want to receive you into my heart, Jesus. I want you to live within me. I want to be born again. And I want to follow you all my days. So I receive you by faith and I invite you to be the blood of the Lamb for me. Protect me, my family, as I give my life to you. Amen. And maybe you prayed a prayer like that at home before, or maybe said something like that, but you never really were able to follow through. Listen, stay online. Immediately after this, there'll be a, uh, uh, there'll be a, a means by which you can, you can receive some material or talk to Pastor Mike. You can get connected because this is an important time. This is a time when people need light. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, you have received light in the darkness. For the rest of us, I speak an authoritative prayer as a pastor in the body of Christ and say, I speak the blood over every household, over every lentil. I speak a word of protection. I speak a gift of faith for every household across this church. And then we pray, Lord, for President Trump, and all those making decisions, Governor Wolf, uh, all those making decisions as we move through this, we pray for wisdom from on high, that this thing would desist quickly. Authoritatively, we pray that in Jesus Christ's name. And I commend you all, all of you, to uh, continue in your virtual prayer meetings, do what you do. And I just uh, commend you to the protection 
and the power and the love of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. God bless and have a great day. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.